0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, called The Case of Those Who Have Fallen Away.
1: They had tasted the heavenly gift. I'm moving through the first verses we've read together. Tasting of the heavenly gift could be the gift of the Holy Spirit or the gift of salvation or specifically the gift of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So the Holy Spirit will be mentioned next. So they say... Uh, This would be a group of people who have tasted the heavenly gift in the sense that they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, some people argue that the word taste here is used in Matthew 27 when Jesus tasted the sour wine, which was supposed to deaden your pain, but he didn't take it in. And they say that these people are simply those who have tasted almost like maybe licking on a lollipop. They tasted it, but they never consumed it. Like Jesus tasted the sour wine, but didn't drink it. They've had a taste of these things, but never fully consumed the things of God. And this would be in the camp of those who think these are apparent Christians, camp number three. And so, but the word is also used in Hebrews 2.9. Just flip over a few pages in your Bible, and you'll see it talks of Jesus, who has made a little... Uh, for a little while, lower than the angels, Hebrews 2, 9, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might do what? Taste death for everyone. That's the same Greek word. And if you look a little bit harder at the uses of this word, it does mean to eat. It can mean to consume something. It, It doesn't simply mean that you just did a little taste of something and spit it out or something like that which I never do personally. I mean, unless it's like sauerkraut or something like that, right? I'm taking it in, baby, right? So anyway. Now, the third description of these people, it gets even stronger, is that they've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. This could be in the company of others, but they have experienced the power of the Spirit. Skipping down to verse 5 of Hebrews 6, they've tasted the good word of God. Notice how the word of God is called God's good word. In Jeremiah 29.10 and 33.14, the good word of God is linked to specific promises of God. So they've tasted the word of God, the power of God, and notice this final description about them, the fifth description. Even experienced the powers of the age to come. Some would say the age to come is maybe the millennial reign of Christ. Others would say the age to come is the new covenant age or the age that Jesus ushered in when he was doing miracles on the earth. How many people saw Jesus open blind eyes, uh, heal those who were lame, unstop deaf ears, and even raise the dead? Did all those people who experienced the power of the ages to come believe? Did the Pharisees believe when Lazarus was raised from the dead? No, they plotted how they could kill both Lazarus and Jesus. Just because the power of God was on display didn't convert people. And so you can see both camps here. One camp says, how could, how could someone experience those five things and not be a true Christian? And the other camp says, well, there were people who, you know, experienced the power of God, right? They saw Jesus heal. They, they knew he raised the dead and yet they still condemned him. So I don't know that we've settled the argument even with these amazing descriptions of the power of God, the power perhaps of the future age. Uh, these powers may confidently be identified with the signs, wonders, and miracles mentioned in Hebrews 2 4. Judas went around with Jesus for three and a half years. How many miracles did Judas witness? He heard Jesus preach how many times? Judas went out, they went out two by two, and he was preaching the gospel and laying hands on people, and maybe some of the heavenly power coursed through Judas. But Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father and who, who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare, Matthew seven twenty three, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity or practice lawlessness. So that would be a Judas-type person who experienced some of the power or seemed to have the power of God in his or her life. But Jesus says, I never knew you. And so here's the dilemma. This is R. Kent Hughes. He says, whatever we conclude about these people, we have to say they've had a full exposure to the gospel of the kingdom. Their experience parallels the privileged experience of the children of Israel in the wilderness who fell away and died in unbelief. And they're obviously in the backdrop of this entire book written to Hebrew New Testament believers. As part of the covenant community, the fallen Israelites had placed blood on the doorposts, eaten the Passover lamb, miraculously crossed the Red Sea, observed the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night, experienced the miraculous waters of Mara, uh, daily ate manna and heard the voice voice of God at Mount Sinai. They experienced the miracle of the Red Sea crossing. We could go on and on yet their hearts were hardened in unbelief, and they fell away from the living God. True, some of those who perished in the wilderness were regenerate, says Hughes, and some were not, but both were visible members of the covenant community and shared a profound mutuality of spiritual experience, similarly, these catechized, counterfeit Christians, as Hughes puts it, of Hebrews 6, were accepted into the covenant community and likewise experienced some of the spiritual realities but fell away. And then he says uh, true believers will never ultimately abandon Christ or his people. First John 2.19 says they, they departed from us because they were never really of us. And so you can kind of see Where if you're in the camp of one can lose their salvation, or if you're in the eternal security camp, or maybe you find yourself somewhere in between, you could see how both camps have kind of, you know, locked on to their reasons of what they believe. And and it it would be easy for any of us to kind of presuppose or impose what we already believe on a text like this. Sometimes we have a tough time reading texts just, you know, for what they say, because we already have come to some conclusions in our theology, so here's what it says about this group, and this is probably the prickly of all the prickly verses, uh, and it's verse 6. These folks, and then have fallen away, and remember, it's not an if, it's not a what if, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves. And I believe the tense is uh, present, so it's, they keep on crucifying the Son of God and put him to open shame. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And this is what has caused many people to scratch their heads, get into debates, and lose sleep. How could it be Impossible to renew someone to repentance. Whatever camp you're in, this is a problem. Because if you're in the camp that says you can lose your salvation, let's just say that you're in that camp. You believe that someone could walk away from their faith. Well, then apparently they can't come back. But wouldn't we argue that there's some people that did come back? Like, let's take the story of the prodigal son. How about David when he committed the sin and hid it for a year and then returned to the Lord. And then the book of James says something that I believe we've got to wrestle with. And it's the end of James chapter five. And since you're just really close to the book of James, let's turn there. It's one book to your right. And I want you to see this in light of what looks like on the surface an impossibility. Look at James 5, the last two verses, 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, James five twenty, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Well, whether you're in the eternal security camp or you can lose your salvation, it's a problem if someone uh, defected or apostatized or fell away, it's impossible for them to ever return. And maybe the Calvinist camp would say, well, they were always non-elect and that's why they fell away. But the, the impossibility language still sits there. So back to the book of Hebrews. I told you your brain was going to be stretched a little bit tonight. What do we make of this? What do we make of the prodigal son? What do we make of James chapter 5? People who stray from the truth. We're supposed to pursue them. I heard one teacher say that this is perhaps hyperbole. The word impossible is hyperbole. What does that mean? Hyperbole is a word that means extreme language to make a point. And so he he takes us to this text. He says, uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus discusses the commandments with him. And he says, I've kept them all. What am I still lacking? He says, well, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven. Come and follow me. And the rich young ruler's face fell because he had great wealth. And he walked away from Jesus dejectedly. And Jesus said, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples say, well, then who can be saved?
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment.
2: Would you please consider supporting Walk in Truth being on this radio station and podcast for at least $5 a month? And visit walkintruth.com to give. As a thank you, we'll send you more content from Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team. And you will get this content through our new Walk in Truth app. You will have quick access to our daily episodes. You can watch videos of Pastor Michael's most recent Sunday sermons and access to our bonus podcast and video series, A Step Closer. This month's series is called An Invitation to Intimacy, a look at intimacy in marriage through the Song of Solomon. That's how I showed my anger. Mm -hmm. Not in words, but in you can't have me. Mm -hmm. And that took a toll in our relationship. Even for me, in a church that didn't
0: shy away from it, it wasn't talked about a ton, but I remember getting married and my wife and I being like, this is weird, like, so good now i guess you
2: know, and <laughs> there was infidelity just a lot of financial issues you know all those things that make the top list of, of yes. why a marriage is
1: hard the lord's given us all things to enjoy the yeah. scriptures say and freedom is a big word yeah. as a christian mm-hmm. and unfortunately what's happened in the church is that the church has not always sent a message that we're supposed to enjoy life and be free. We've put a lot of unnecessary weights on people. All
2: this and more is available to you on our new Walk in Truth app as a thank you for your financial gift. Please become a financial partner of at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com.
0: We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on in Truth. Your brain was going to be stretched a little
1: bit tonight. What do we make of this? What do we make of the prodigal son? What do we make of James chapter 5? People who stray from the truth, we're supposed to pursue them. I heard one teacher say that this is perhaps hyperbole. The word impossible is hyperbole. What does that mean? Hyperbole is a word that means extreme language to make a point. And so he, he takes us to this text. He says, uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus discusses the commandments with him. And he says, I've kept them all. What am I still lacking? He says, well, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven. Come and follow me and the rich young ruler's face fell because he had great wealth and he walked away from Jesus dejectedly and Jesus said, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples say, well then, who can be saved? This is Luke eighteen twenty-seven. Jesus said, The things impossible with men are possible with God. Now, I like the sound of that, but I'm not sure that that's what the writer of Hebrews means when he uses the word impossible. Am I supposed to link the rich young ruler story with what the writer of Hebrews is saying and somehow find solace in well, maybe it's impossible, but maybe it's just hyperbole. And that's, he doesn't really mean it's totally impossible. He just means it's impossible with people. I don't know. I, I don't know that that's the right answer. Well, what is the right answer? I mean, how could it be impossible for someone to fall away and not be renewed again to repentance? Well, some have argued that this group is a group that's committed the unpardonable sin. But as I mentioned earlier, I don't think the unpardonable sin can be committed just by any old person. Uh, Like I told you that story of the young man with the white eyes in the parking lot. I think that that sin was the Pharisees attributing Jesus's power to deliver from a demonic power to Beelzebub. And since they attributed his power to the devil, they committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But Is that what's going on with these people? Because they fell away because of persecution or pressure or that kind of thing? And what about the prodigal son? What about, uh, you know, people in practical experience? You may know, maybe you're one of them. Maybe you fell away at some point in your life and you have returned to the Lord. But if you were in the camp that we said it's impossible for you to return, then you wouldn't be here. (laughs) <laughs> so how could it be impossible? So it, it definitely, you can see why this has caused an issue. Uh, let me just see if I can walk this out for you. And I got s- some things that hit my brain this morning. And I had one of those aha moments. And I want to tell you what I think is going on here. I think what's going on here is that these Jewish Christians in the first century are a specific, special circumstance. I do believe that there's application for today, but let's just take the original audience. The temple's still standing. So let's say that you're a first century Jew. You come into a, a Jewish Christian context. You're, you become a believer. You profess Jesus as Messiah. And let's say that your family begins to disown you. And people start chirping in your ear that Jesus can't be the Messiah because of this scripture or that scripture. and Oh, and by the way, we don't want you attending this synagogue anymore. And on and on it goes. So let's just say that you decide, you know what? I can't take this anymore. This is too much pressure. And this happens to people who come out of the cults, people who have been in other world religions. And let's say that you went back to the temple and you started offering sacrifices again. Uh, to fit in or because of the pressure or the persecution. What would you be saying? You'd be saying, I'm going back to the shadows instead of the substance. I'm going back to a covenant that is obsolete because the old covenant has been supplanted by the new covenant. That's Hebrews 8. I think it's verse 3 or 13. The old covenant is obsolete. The shadows have been fulfilled by the substance. The substance is Christ. It would be like you have a photograph of your family on your desk at work. Your wife walks in with your child, and you're kissing the photo. Oh, I love you, baby. And your, your wife in the flesh is standing right there. The photo's nice, but her in real life is better. Amen. The old covenant has been supplanted by the new. It is now obsolete. Why go back to the photo when the real has come? Why go back to the shadows when the substance has come? And I think that this is confirmed by language in verse 6. I want you to look at it with me and think with me. How could someone, look at the end of verse 6, Crucify to themselves the Son of God. Let me ask you, how would that be possible that I could again crucify Jesus, present tense, over and over and over again? How could I do that? I believe the only way that that could be done is if I was a first century Jew going back to things that were picturing the crucifixion that had now been fulfilled. Everybody with me? How else could I re-crucify the Christ and put him to open shame? See, if I was going back to the shadows and back to the old covenant system of the blood of bulls and goats, then I would be dishonoring the fulfillment of those types and shadows. Everybody with me? Shake your head so I know you're kind of with me. Now, I want to show you something in Hebrews chapter 10. Flip over there. This warning passage is one of five in the book of Hebrews. So this isn't the only warning passage. And I believe Hebrews 6 is linked with the other warning passages. Let's take a look at Hebrews. And let's look at verse 4, and then we'll drop down in that chapter. Let's look at verse 3. But in those sacrifices, Hebrews 10, 3, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do what? Take away sin. You all see the word there? It's impossible. Just mark that. Therefore, when he comes into the world, this is the Messiah, Jesus. He says, sacrifice an offering you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you did not desire, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Keep reading. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. what your Bible say? Once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished. Waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. And here's the frosting. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. How then could it be that someone would go back to that system of the sacrifices to the blood of bulls and goats and move from the fulfillment to the shadow from the obs- from the fulfillment or the greater uh, covenant to the obsolete one that's going backwards and i believe that that is the way one puts Christ to open shame they shame The Christ who's fulfilled the imagery by going back to that which has been fulfilled. Everybody with me? I believe that's what's going on here. This is my personal view, my take on it. But I think that you can see it has merit.
0: You've been listening to The Case of Those Who Have Fallen Away, part two on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 6, 4 through 12. And if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teaching today. Or maybe you have a question about something else or need encouragement or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have affected you. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And thanks for reaching out. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Your contribution helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast to reach more people like you with the hope of Jesus. And now we offer the Walk in Truth app as a thank you for your donation. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner for at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com and click donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 6, 4-12, through called The Case of Those Who Have Fallen Away. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.